Welcome to the Leadership Exposé podcast. This podcast is for leaders at diverse levels and organizations around the world who are seeking to scale and transform their leadership to level up their business and to create an impact in the lives of people all around them. Business topics, trends, innovation, and the intersection with leadership is the focus. We enable success. I'm your host, Stephen Paul. In this episode, we meet a progressive-minded leader, consultant, and business and social entrepreneur. We welcome Ayana Namias. She brings a wealth of educational, journalistic, business, and life experience, amongst several other things. As a CEO and leader at Namias Group, she holds diverse roles in relation to digital transformation, project consulting, and Ayana is also a social entrepreneur and founder of a successful international nonprofit called Zimfarm, where she brings her global experience as well as a focus in Africa, where she leads and develops sustainable women's empowerment initiatives that promotes self-sufficiency, accountability, and pride. Today, we're going to learn about Ayana, her transformational work on both the business side and how she's making a difference on social entrepreneurship globally and in Africa as a focus. Welcome, Ayana. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Great. Wonderful. Ayana, we're all in, in different parts of the world. Where are you based? I'm currently in Virginia, so I'm currently in the U.S., but I travel between the U.S. and um, Zimbabwe, Africa, so I go back and forth. Haven't been back because of COVID, um, but now that the restrictions have lifted, um, I look forward to this opportunity to traveling back after this prolonged absence. My heart misses it, yeah. Wonderful. And we'll come, we'll come to that topic of pandemic and how you're actually managing that. But I'm curious, Ayana, tell us about your personal and professional journey and how that has intersected. Okay, so um, I have a really unique background. I was, my parents expatriated from the U.S. in the um, 70s, early 70s, as part of the Back to Africa movement. And um, although I came back to go to school, um, my father subsequently, he was a, a physicist and mathematician, PhD, and he had taught all across the continent from Nigeria to Tanzania to Zimbabwe. And he lived in Zimbabwe, was a citizen there um, and for 40 years. And when he passed in 2015, um, he had a farm and he was dedicated to Pan-Africanism and empowerment um, and self-sufficiency. So many um, countries become donor dependent. We know that that's a problem globally. Um, we know that there's an issue of neocolonialism. And that's a very complex topic. I don't really want to get into here. But, you know, he was really committed to empowering the people to self-sufficiency and not being dependent, because that, that creates all kinds of unequal dynamics um, between any people or organizations, for that matter of fact. Um, so the family had, we had the land, we put it in a trust, and our family decided collectively that we wanted to do something 
that would you know, honor him, but stay in line with that vision and our commitment to Pan-Africanism. And so that's how I actually was interviewed by Bonterra. And I don't know if you're familiar with that organ. Yeah, that organization. Yeah. Um, so for those who aren't, their motto is tech to power social impact. And um, I was interviewed on their accidental fundraiser program. And that's kind of what happened with this. I had no idea. I had no nonprofit background. Um, my mother, who's an amazing individual, she's a minister. This is not a religious organization at all. I'm just giving background on her, but she's always been involved in women's rights. And she's worked in organizations for women who are coming out of the prison system so that they can get the skills to be reunited with their children. And um, she's just worked in workforce empowerment. And also she worked with, for Peace Corps. She was the regional director for East Africa. So you can see I had it on both sides, but I think that's where I really saw the value and the importance of helping women through tangible skills. Not, I mean, it's okay to talk about it, but you really have to do something about it. And that's, that started this journey. Yeah, and and Ayana, is your focus on the on the social side of things in in Africa, or is it um, um, specifically within parts of Africa, or is it uh, global? It is in Africa, and although it started um, on the as the family project, as I mentioned, now we're going through um, we're scaling. And one of the things that I recognized, and I'll talk more about the project, but one of the things that I recognized was that the model that I had based it on, which was a farming model, which a lot of nonprofits use across the continent, give a woman a plot of land, she farms it, and she takes the product to market and blah, blah, blah. One of the things that I learned was that farming is a really incredibly difficult, low ROI venture. I mean, unless you have thousands of hectares and complex machinery, you're just not making any money. So if you're given one acre, or you're just not making any money. So after many successive years, so we've been farming um, since 2016. The women have been farming, learning skills about permaculture, sustainable agriculture, um, poultry farming, but the, the return is just not there. So I realized that not only do we have to scale across the continent, but we have to use a different model. And the model that we're moving towards right now is technology in agriculture mm -hmm. that can be done at a micro level, right? You, you don't need to have to build a vertical farm or hydroponic farming. You don't need to have tons of land. In fact, you can do it in urban environments if you can find a warehouse or whatever. And those are the types of skills that we're looking to scale across the continent, also powered by solar power. So we have a solar power on the farms, like 4,000 kW, and it powers everything on the farm. And so that's really important. You can see there's a lot of solar power initiatives across the continent. Um, to augment the, you know, failing infrastructure in some places. 
And so that's the model that we have implemented. And that's where we're going. So we've changed, we're rebranding from the Zimbabwe Farm Project to um, Africa Vertical for Women's Empowerment. That's very interesting, Ayana. And um, you mentioned about uh, women empowerment and the, the focus on women, and we'll come to that very shortly. But when we talk, and I completely agree with you in terms of the technological aspect um, and the focus around that. So where, where does the, the, the business experience and, and, and what you bring from a business perspective into the social side of things. Tell us a little bit more about the, um, the intersect between the work that you're doing in parallel on the business side and on the social side and how that actually connects. Okay, so one of the things was, I, when I grew up in Africa, um, it was very you know, patriarchal. And my dad was really conservative, um, and paternalistic and we just didn't have my mother my sister and i we just weren't viewed as full human beings and we weren't allowed to explore our potential and so it was one of the things i remember is you're a pretty face with no brains and then another story that's not funny but it is now that i'm older is my dad tried to marry me off for 12 cows you know so, you know, and, and those kinds of things stuck with me because I said, what would have happened if I didn't have the option of coming back and gaining an education? You know, what would have happened? And it wasn't an opportunity. My mother uh, escaped. So we escaped from Africa. We escaped. So, but had that not happened had my mother not had that courage to do that what would my life have looked like so then when I came back and I went into the workforce I'd always been entrepreneurial I, I just love business one of my first businesses was importing um, high-end furniture from Indonesia when I lived in Miami and I, I just love that that was my first exposure um, then I uh, had my son and um, circumstances in life changed and I came back to the DC area and I had to go back into the traditional workforce and that was challenging. But as life is, you know, never see where you're going to end up when you're starting on the journey. And my journey started as a secretary in HR but I was working in the office of the chief technology officer. I knew nothing really about technology. I had built a couple of websites, blah, blah, blah. But I, I knew nothing about technology. And it was a hard road, but I had always been driven. And I knew that if I were successful, the people around me would be successful. Because that's just always the kind of person that I've been. Um, for example, when I escaped from Africa the second time with my brother and sister, you know, my brother and sister, they didn't really want to leave, but I wasn't going to leave them behind. And that's where I am. You just never leave people behind. Obviously, people have free choice and free will, but you have to always offer that opportunity and explain, you know, the cost benefits if you want to, you know, in, tech, in business terms. But 
um, I started working and then I found out that they were doing a construction project. They were building the new um, 911 center. They called it the Unified Communications Center. I'd never worked on a construction project before. Um, I had a great manager. I mean, he's awesome to, to, to people. And I would consider them the people that have had the greatest impact on my professional career. And um, one was the director and then the program manager who worked underneath him. And I just begged. I was like, I can do anything. I, I, I swear I can do anything. And after, you know, really advocating for myself, which is something that people need to understand and need to just never take no, they allowed me to, to work on the project. And then I found out about PMP um, certification. And at that time, I was classified as an admin and only managers were allowed to take that certification. And once again, I advocated and advocated, and it was a process, had to be approved by executives, blah, blah, blah. And um, at the end of the day, they told me, you can take the test, but if you fail, you have to pay for the test and pay for the course. And of course, I passed. <laughs> and that's how I became a PNP. And then from that, that's what enabled me scale to become a program manager. The next step in my career was there was a, I had worked there for eight years, then there was a reduction in workforce. So that was in 2011. And I remember sitting in the sunshine in the middle of DC, looking at the monument and uh, looking at some museums. And I just was like, what am I going to do now? And I had no idea what I was going to do, but I said, I think I'm going to start a business. I'm going to take this opportunity to start a business. And I went that very day and got incorporated. And then, you know, a few weeks later, opened up a bank account. And then I was like, okay, now what? <laughs> but that was the start. And I, I became a subcontractor. And I supported um, some organizations. And then eventually I came, became a subcontractor and supported a local government organization. And that is how it started. To answer your question, because technology has, is not my passion, it is a vehicle, it is a necessary tool, I've always had this heart for women's empowerment. Um, specifically the ability to control one's destiny and to take care of one's family and to have the same types of opportunities that I had. If they didn't believe in me, maybe I'd still be a secretary. There's nothing wrong with being a secretary, but if there's nothing wrong with being a farmer, if the women want to be farmers, that's okay. But one should always have the opportunity. So that's yeah. how to kind of um, coalesce. Yeah, no, wonderful. And I'd like to explore a little bit more about Africa Vertical and, you know, the challenges that you are experiencing or you are, you know, you're addressing through this big initiative, this social change that you're bringing. You mentioned about women empowerment. 
Look, in the in in, in uh, you know developed regions, markets, established markets, you know, diversity, gender, these are big topics, especially in, in you know, in some of the corporates and, and um, you know, startup organizations, scale-up organizations are, are spoken about. And things are being done. There's a bit of awareness. What's the level of awareness that you're experiencing in that particular respect? And I, I recognize that you're trying to drive that within, uh, you know, with, with, within Africa and within some of these initiatives that you're bringing together. But what, what are some of these big issues that you're facing as it relates to that and some of the broader broader elements? Um, so I guess that I'm looking at it more from a grassroots level, even though it's in Africa. So it's kind of, people look at it in amazement. They're like, how do you manage? How did you start something like that? And then how do you manage something like that? And year after year. And, um, and so there are many organizations on the continent that at this point, it's just like I started as a admin. I look at myself as starting even though I've been doing this since 2016, I'm still groundswell. And so there, like I said, organizations that are doing big things for women's empowerment across the continent. And I, I don't seek to replicate that. I seek to do something that's different and tangibly impactful. So like we know the women who are in the community who come and work on the farm. And we talk to them about their needs. We talk to them about what, how much they need to pay for their children's school fees. We talk to them about their dreams and their hopes versus dictating to them. And one of the ways that I kind of promote, I don't want to use enforce, but um, manage is a better word is that I just uh, dictate that there are only women who are hired to work um, on, on the farm. There is um, a project manager um, and he and his wife, because it's very important that his wife was a part of this and is a part of this and that the women are not managed by a man, that it's you know twofold, that they get to see a woman who is a manager, who's actually, um, she's the one who controls the poultry farming operation, who trains the women in poultry farming. I think through empowering women that way, that's something that you can't, nobody can take away. It's also not something that you can advertise really readily. The, the, those seeds, I may not be alive to see those seeds. You know, my, my journey started in 2003, and it's 2022. And so it took a long time. This was an arc, right? Um, that's how I look at it. It's person by person. It's an individual story. And in terms of diversity, that kind of doesn't really apply with the um, population that I'm dealing with other than the fact that there are the same types of inequities that exist in other countries in terms of economic inequities and wealth being concentrated in the hands of a few and in, um, 
in many cultures and many countries, you know, you know what that looks like, even in the States. Yeah, no, what, what wonderful. So, Ayana, if, if I'm a company or a business or an individual looking to leverage your solution from the business side into the social side of things or to partner with you, how would a conversation between you and I sound like? So that's a good question. Um, I have a partnership with a company in India, and they actually, one of the um, owners is on the board of the um, project, the nonprofit. One of the things was when they came to me, I, it was important that we could explore and leverage each of our technology strengths and the markets that we have access to. Um, it's challenging, as you know, for overseas companies to do business in the States. Um, and also, especially when you're in the technology industry in terms of security and the infrastructure requirements, et cetera. Um, but, you know, again, it was that win-win kind of thing. I was like, it's not just about us making money. It's about how we're going to give back. So it's really important to me to partner with people who share my same vision and passion. So one of the things that they're, um, that this partner is um, into is Ayurvedic medicine. And um, anything that has to do with promoting um, the human condition, improving the human condition is really important to me. Um, if anybody wants to partner with us or partner with the vision, it's, you know, money is always good. Donations are always good, but it's just so much better if you actually go or come and see or participate in some way. An example is, um, we had Print the Love, which is a nonprofit organization from the States, and they came over to the farm. And their mission is to, to give photos, they go all around the world, and they take photos, and they give the people these photos. So they take family photos, and we had a great day. I mean, the women were there with their children, they dressed up, and they got these family photos, which they would not otherwise have, right? Um, I mean, everybody has a camera, but a camera phone is not the same as a, a photo, a framed photo. So that was really exciting. So those are the kinds of things and organizations that are important uh, to me to partner, both on the technology side and or on the mission side. Wonderful. And Ayanna, you've, you know, you're a leader in your own right, and uh, you hold several leadership positions. Can you share a story that comes to mind um, that resulted in a highly positive outcome? Story that resulted in a highly positive outcome. There's so many. Um, there's so many. I, I, I don't know. I guess what one would be in turn, I'll just use a project management. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, there's a drought in Southern Africa, as everyone knows, long drought. 
and we had a borehole on the property and my actually my father's borehole and there was a it was a wind pump and it's still there just because i think it's an amazing icon but the borehole ran dry in the middle of our cabbage harvest so the women were hand watering like three acres of cabbage hand watering them every day with buckets no hoses buckets and i was like this is of urgent concern it wasn't just that the the cabbage crop would be lost and all the work that the women put in and um oh and also i would like to be clear because i think sometimes people get confused even though we have these crops and they go to market none of that that money gets plowed right back into the organization it never there's, I mean, there's just not enough for it to come out of the organization. As I said, we're grassroots. But they had worked really hard, and they had intended on taking that crop to market. And so I was like, well, this is urgent. What are we going to do? And the only solution, we bought water for a while. Um, there's 10,000 liter tanks, and so we would buy water. But that was not a sustainable solution we had to dig another borehole and that to manage that process from the U.S. because it was in the middle of the pandemic was, I would say, one of the most challenging and faith walk, not in a religious sense, but like I really had to believe and depend that everyone on the ground did what they said that they were going to and um, we had a donor, gave us like uh, $10,000. And we had a dowager. I don't know if you know what a dowager, yeah, that came. And I was yeah. stressed because she came with her little stick. And she said, uh, the water is there. And there was no guarantee that the water was there. And then we you know, paid her. And then we had to pay for a drilling company. And yeah. same thing, no guarantee. They didn't hit water. We would have to pay for the process to begin again. And they drilled. I have, there's a video on YouTube. They drilled all day. And I was sitting here watching this um, with my farm manager and the camera. We have a camera crew, a videographer that we work with. And I'm sitting here watching it, just biting my nails. And by the evening, they hit water at 236 feet, 286 feet, 80, 80 meters deep. They hit water. Yeah. And so that was, then they had to come back and sink the submersible pump and make sure that that could bring water up. I would say that was an amazing accomplishment. And to have done all of that with the people on the ground, managing that process from the U.S. and to have such a positive result was amazing. That, that, that truly is amazing because you demonstrated significant leadership. I mean, like you're talking about continents here, you're talking about different groups of people here. So well done you on that. You mentioned about pandemic and, you know, different companies, individuals have faced a lot and continue to face challenges 
Are you seeing any improvements in that space in the line of work that you are involved in, in terms of bouncing yeah, back do. or yeah yeah I do see some improvement um you know I've been working remotely now for going on three years uh, I think that that has opened up a world I mean here we are you're in the UK correct yeah and I'm here in the states and we're having a conversation and I think that that's a great thing. Um, however, the challenge is that there are many people who cannot, still cannot participate in this new and emerging world that we're living in because they don't have access to technology or they don't have access to reliable um, infrastructure that would enable them to stay connected. Um, we use WhatsApp. That's what I use. Um, WhatsApp is the most stable for dealing in Africa. Um, also, you mentioned time zones, like I deal with the time zone. My um, designer is in um, France, and my partners are in India, and then the project is in Zimbabwe. So I'm always dealing with many different time zones, and it's really wonderful to have this ability to do so because of technology. Um, I like the fact that during the pandemic, the women wore masks. And that was really, I mean, it, I requested that and required that, even though they got vaccinated. And for the people who couldn't afford to get vaccinated, we paid for them to have vaccinations if they wanted it. It was not mandatory. But it was so important to keeping the project moving forward. I always wore my mask. I didn't look at it as a political yeah. thing. I, when I went to Zimbabwe right at the beginning of the pandemic, it was December, January, I got really ill. I flew through London and I, I thought I was going to die. It was just the worst ever. And so I realized the importance of staying healthy. Um, now that it's more relaxed, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Um, I recently traveled to Canada and that was a little stressful, this like testing thing. And then we, I was in Vancouver, my son went to school there. And then when we flew back, we had to get a test and then we got to the airport and the test was out like, like an hour outside of the window. So I'm glad that they're getting rid of that in many, many places. That was just fun. Travel is stressful enough and that was an added layer that I felt was unnecessary. So yeah, it's great. It's great to be able to breathe. The women love to breathe. I love to breathe freely. So yeah. That's Wonderful. And, and I added, can you uh, share any, um, I know you've spoken about your leadership and, and, and so forth, but uh, can you share any leadership or life lessons you've learned that has, um, transform the way you lead or benefited others any people that you follow role models that you basically bring bring forward in in the, in the way you operate yes um i would say and people may not know because these are older people but one of them i met maya angelou when i was in college and she was a just one of the most profound people. Um, she had overcome so much, but she didn't let it scar her 
for Jade her, and she turned it around to be a powerful voice in the world. And she corresponded with me and she didn't have to do that. And it was just, uh, she had a profound impact on me. And then the next person is Ellen Johnson. Um, she was the um, first democratically elected president female of Liberia and having spent time in West Africa, that was an amazing accomplishment. I wrote about it. Um, I have, a, I think I told you that, I have an online publication, the Mia's Report. And I wrote about her because to see that, I had never seen that anywhere in Africa at, up until that point. And she got the Nobel Peace Prize in 2011. And she is recognized by the UN for her role in women's empowerment and um, accessing the political uh, systems and structures in meaningful ways in, on the continent. So I would say those two. And then in terms of um, books, um, I don't know, again, this is all, but there was a, a, an author called Richard Bach, and he wrote a book, Jonathan Livingston Siegel. And that book, when I read it, I was an English lit major. And of course I read heavy duty stuff, but that book, a very simple book, really touched me and informed my, um, my path. You know, sometimes, most times when you're a visionary, you have to go it alone, but you're never alone. And even after he ascended to the heights and then began to learn greater lessons, he went back and brought those lessons back to those that he left behind. Actually, those who kicked him out. So they kicked him out. And then when he went back, he was able to teach them these lessons and they were open and receptive to them. So I would say those are, you know, some of the things that inform my my daily walk. Yeah. No. Ex excellent. Excellent. I, I I know about the uh, the you know the the female president of Liberia. That's very good. It's 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 amazing, and she made a big difference in the continent as well, but globally. I mean, even won the uh, the Nobel Peace Prize. And tell tell us a little bit about um, some of the important topics or trends on your mind these days. I know. You know, you know, on the social side of things, women empowerment is one of them. But uh, uh, tell us a little bit more about some of those topics or trends that might impact people, business, other leaders, and what they need to focus on as well. One of the um, things that um, is really important, I think, is we've become um, we we've become too focused on the bits and the bites. Let's put it that way when we need to elevate it, I feel, and look at it from a macro perspective. One of the articles that I wanted to write was um, the death of human agency. People are looking at women's rights or the various communities' rights, civil rights, and they're saying, well, we need to get that right and we need to get this right. But really, it is the human right that governs all of that. So with the elimination of Roe v. Wade in the U.S. 
And that is an attack on women everywhere, on women globally. And it's not that I'm pro or against. I am pro that human beings should have the right not to impinge upon other people's rights and agency. And so this is a very, a very dangerous and slippery slope. And how it, in terms of the rights of people in the U.S., um, it starts with that. And it reminds me of the um, quote, and I've used this often, not the quote, but the poem by Martin Niemöller. Are you familiar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have heard, yeah. Yes, and, th- and that's where we are. First, they came for them. And then by the end, there was no one left to speak up for me. And um, so I feel that that is of urgency. That is like the, the, the harbinger. It's showing you where um, the power structures are trying to move people. And we need to understand as individuals and collectively people in leadership um, that it's our responsibility to not let that happen. Yeah. So, Ayana, let's uh, shift focus here. Let's talk about you. What does a day in the life of Ayana look like? Well, I work remotely. So I get up at, I have an office, my home office. Um, get up every day, same time, nine o'clock, not a morning person. So nine o'clock is good for me because I'm a night person. Um, and the reason being that I work with people in different time zones. Um, but in the day is when I get all of my uh, contract work done here. My, you know, my technology support system administration, whatever projects that I'm working on, um, as a consultant or otherwise. And then by five o'clock is when I switch to begin um, working with people um, or dealing with issues in Africa or working on projects with my partners in India. Um, And that'll go probably until midnight or so. And and then I say good night to everyone. I, I love speaking with everyone. Say good night or say good morning. That's always so cool. It's my nighttime and I'm like, well, good Depending morning. Depending on where they are. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on where you are. And um, on a personal side, you know, I'm a mother. My son is um, 20. And uh, one of the people in my network gave him um, an internship working remotely, and he's starting out in HR, but it's a totally different world. I mean, the, the skill set and the technology that he is learning, it's just amazing. And even though he's a graphic artist by trade, a digital artist by training, these skills, they will, they, they are necessary to any, they inform any environment that you move into. I did not know that my PMP would be used in the way that it has been. For instance, if I did not have my PMP, not the certification, but the skills and the understanding of the discipline, that water project might not have been as successful. You know, so, um, 
and and I have a, a partner. So we just we have a life. My mom is here, and um, uh, you know we're very close knit family, Africa style. And she lives with us. We don't send her to a home, and so it's it's a good life. Wonderful. I know we're coming to a close. Do you, can you share with us any closing messages or a challenge to other leaders on life, business, leadership, anything of interest? I, I believe that you can do anything that you put your mind to with the caveat that you can't do it alone. I think a lot of people, they just stop at the first part. You can do anything you put your mind to, but you, you have to have other people. And you have to give, one of my big things, and I say this many times, you have to give credit where credit is due. You know, I am not a React developer. So if there is a website that my organization builds that's a React website, what good does it do for me to take credit for that? What little does it have for me to give credit to the person who did that? And then that person can grow and mature. And maybe one day they start their own business. So it's a win-win, but to use that term too loosely, I think it's a give-grow. You have to plant, and that's why I love agriculture. That's why I love the farm. <laughs> You have to plant those seeds and you may not see them mature, but they do with the right encouragement. You have to give references. I give references. I give recommendations. And that's really important. It's the best gift that you can give to yourself. Yeah. No, wonderful. Um, Ayanna, thank you very much for being with us today and sharing your journey. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Wonderful. Okay, folks, thank you very much for listening in and stay tuned for our next episode with the chair and executive of a Fortune 500 company where he talks about transformation behind the scenes on topics such as ESG, decarbonization and sustainability and what that means for any organization at an executive level and at a board level. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day.